Welcome to Auburn Community Church. My name is Miles Fidel, and it is such a privilege to welcome you on Christmas. I know it's a big deal that you get to choose where you're going to attend church and where you're going to hear the gospel message of Jesus, and you chose to be here. And that means so much to me. It means so much to our team. And uh, if you're new, we would love to have you get involved in the life of our church. God is doing so many cool things at ACC, and I am honestly just humbled to be on this stage right now. Uh, I am not going to talk long, and I told the 2.30 they had a guarantee on that because you guys were coming in right after them. I make no guarantees. I'm going to make an effort to not go long at this gathering, realizing that many of you have your kids in here, which is just so cool, to be honest with you. I don't view that at all as an interruption. I view that as the reason why our church exists, to raise up families that love and honor Jesus. And you can clap, by the way. You can laugh if something's funny. I hope at some point you do get to participate. I always feel an elevated level of pressure when I'm preaching on Christmas or Easter. And before I became a lead pastor, there were pastors who told me this. They were like, it's just different. It hits different on Easter. It hits different on Christmas. There's something that happens, and you got people in the room who are just ready and willing to receive the gospel message. And so anytime I step into this moment, I'm always like, okay, this is holy ground, and I want to say exactly what God has called me to say. But I believe that that is true at an exponentially higher level right now because not only are we in Christmas, but we are coming to the end of the most difficult year many of us have ever walked through. And so this is our final gathering together in 2020, and I not only want to say something that takes you back 2,000 years into the story of Christmas, but I also want to bring a gospel message that collides with everything that we've had to walk through over the course of 2020 And if you're a part of our church, I don't think any of us will ever be the same having gone through what we've gone through together. You know, when you go through something traumatic with a group of people, there's this special bond that develops within those that were there. And the fact that we were able to go through so many months of just doing church online, the fact that we were able to walk with families alongside the most brutal, difficult times of financial uncertainty, many of them losing members of their family, many people getting sick. And it's like, I think back to what we thought we were getting into going into a new decade and what we've had to walk through. And I just want to get in front of you and remind you that God is still faithful and that Jesus is still on the throne and that we actually have a lot to celebrate just being being here tonight. Like you made it. You're here. You're singing praise to Jesus on Christmas Eve in 2020, and that's reason enough to celebrate. So I'm pumped. But I do have a a heavy message that I hope and I pray you receive from heaven, not just receiving from a guy wearing a white button-up shirt. I hope that you receive this as a word from God himself, my sermon. It's a title that comes out of a quote from John chapter 3. It's called, He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And if that doesn't sound familiar to you, there's a story about a guy named John the Baptist who actually came to prepare the way for Jesus. His message was one of prepare the way for the Lord. There is a king coming. And so John the Baptist, who was only a few months older than Jesus, had a ministry of repentance to get things ready for Jesus. And right before Jesus's ministry, John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus. But then there's this moment right after Jesus' earthly ministry begins where John the Baptist loses a lot of popularity. It's in John chapter 3, and his disciples come to him and they say, hey, that guy Jesus who you baptized, you know, the one who we were like promoting, 
He's got more followers than us now. Like more people are going to be baptized by him than are going to be baptized by you. What are you going to do about it? And John the Baptist has this brilliant response. He says, listen, if God's kingdom is like a wedding, I am not the bridegroom. I'm the best man. Like, I'm the best friend of the groom, and I have prepared the way, but here's the thing. It is his bride that he has come to take. It is his kingdom, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get out of the way and let him do his thing, and he says this. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you have NIV, it says he must become greater. I must become less. And the birth of Jesus is the initiation of a kingdom. We're celebrating the birth of a king, no doubt. But we are celebrating a kingdom that is not about you and not about me and all about the king. And at the end of a year in 2020 that a lot of us could end going right back to building kingdoms for ourselves, I just want to remind us who this is all about tonight. You know, it would be really easy to put 2020 in the past and go right back to the way life was before sort of out of fear, and go, I don't ever want to go back to what that was like. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the rest of my life living in self-promotion and in self-preservation so that things never end up the way that they were there. And I just want us to get to the end of this year and ask the question, is this really about the kingdom of God? Or from here, are we going to react to what just happened by living in self-conservation and consume everything we can out of this life? You know, one of the byproducts of going through something traumatic is that you have this reaction toward it from then on that's natural for you to self-preserve. When you go through something difficult and you end up on the other side, and you read this in the Bible over and over again, when the people of God see God do something miraculous, they love it in the moment, but once they make it through it, it's their temptation and tendency to run right back to trying to preserve their own life, hold on to their own comfort, and make things about themselves. And I don't want our reaction to 2020 to be the next decade or maybe for the rest of your life just running for things of this world that make you feel comfortable and going back to the spaces and places you went to before simply because you're afraid and you never want to go back to that. I actually want our reaction to 2020 to be an awareness of the brevity of life that we never forget and a making much of Jesus where we go, this life is not about me. He must increase and I must decrease. And that might sound like a hard message, and you might be like, why does it have to be so intense on Christmas? I just wanted a nice, comfortable message before I go open presents. You shouldn't have come here. Because every time I ask God to give me one of those, he's respectful, but he says the same thing every time. No, because eternity is a long time, and hell is real, and people's salvation hangs in the balance of whether or not we're faithful with moments like these. And so I, I don't want to be the guy who's like, wow, preach the most convicting message of the year at the end of 2020. But I also want to be the guy who's found faithful. And the good news about this message, though, is that the more Jesus increases and the more you decrease, the more you gain in the long run. So no one ever loses anything by following Jesus. You just lose the thing you are holding on to to gain the thing you really want which is life and satisfaction and joy and hope and fullness. So I'm not trying to push us into a moment where we don't want to go. I'm trying to get us to a space where we notice we're living in an eternal story that's a kingdom about a king who's coming to take his rightful place. And by the way, he came 2,000 years ago, but he's coming again. And whether or not you and I are found faithful has everything to do with our response in moments like these. So 
Christmas Eve 2020, here's my goal with this short mini sermon. I want to talk you out of wasting your life. I want to talk you out of living and dying on planet earth, having wasted the call of God that he put on the inside of you. And the harsh reality about moments like these is that even though the vast majority of this room believes Jesus is the son of God sent down from heaven in the form of a baby who would grow up to be a man and give his life on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead to give us eternal life. The majority of this room believes that. And if you don't, I highly encourage you to tune in. And maybe by the end of our time together, you feel different. But most of you already believe that. The tragedy is the vast majority of us will still waste our lives anyway. And I want to talk you out of it. While 2020 is still fresh and while life still feels so short and so vulnerable, I want to talk you I want to talk you off the ledge of giving everything to Jesus and never, ever, ever looking back. And it's going to be good. The Bible is frustratingly paradoxical. And there's so many things about the kingdom of God that are upside down from the natural way that we think about things. So like when Jesus shows up and ushers in his kingdom, he says things like, if you want to be great, make yourself a servant of all. If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And there's so many things I read in the Gospels, and I'm like, that is so true, but that is so hard to see unless you see it with the eyes of faith. But I want you to know today, when you say, he must increase, I must decrease, not just I'm a Christian, but my whole life is about serving Jesus, I want to promise you, you don't lose anything in that exchange. You gain everything by releasing what you're not called to hold on to. It's actually a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you also miss the opportunity to waste your life trying to overconsume on things that are never going to fill the void in your soul anyway. Human beings were not created to just consume and consume and consume. We were created to contribute. And when you spend your whole life trying to fill a God-sized hole with things that this world has to offer, it doesn't make you more full. And it doesn't make you get to the place where you go, okay, I got what I was looking for. It actually gets you more empty and looking for more stuff. And it's an endless spiral of emptiness where you go, what in the world has what I am looking for in this life? And I want you to know it's the baby who became the Savior. His name is Jesus. And I want to just point to him and go, find what you are looking for in the Son of God tonight. This is beautiful. Your decrease is never lost. And I get more joy contributing to the kingdom of God than I do consuming on the kingdom of self. So what does this, what does this have to do with Christmas, okay? Everything. And for the final time in 2020, I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bible, would you hold it up at Auburn Community Church? Come on, so many moments you've done this in your living room. It's a beautiful thing. Online, hope you're holding them up as well. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is going to sound familiar if you grew up in church. I actually, the first Bible I was given, it was first grade. I was given a Bible at Roswell Street Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia by pastor, not pastor, Dr. Nelson Price, who's still alive in his 90s today, preaching. He, he teaches a Bible study at a country club where my dad is a member. Just crazy how God works. Anyway, uh, he's still going and still teaching all about the word of God. 
And I got this Bible, and I, I kept like the little, the little bookmark in Luke chapter 2. So anytime I opened that Bible from Rosal Street, I remember looking at Luke 2, and I remember always being thrown off by the way the Christmas story begins. And if you've never read this before, I want to give you a little historical context to how the kingdom of Jesus actually began. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Here it is. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now that's interesting, that the birth of the king of kings would begin with a verse about a different king. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Now, if you love history, you're going to love what I'm about to bring. But if you don't, you're going to roll your eyes. But I'm going to bring it anyway. 2,000 years ago, Caesar Augustus had more power than any other leader in the history of the world. The Caesar before him was a man named Julius Caesar who actually adopted Augustus. That wasn't his name at the time. His name was Octavian, but he was, he was adopted into the family of Julius Caesar. And so when Julius Caesar was assassinated, there was a competition for power. The way Augustus was able to rise up among the ranks of people like Mark Anthony. Oh, yeah, I know my Roman history. I'm Italian, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but I love this stuff. The way Augustus was able to rise up in power was by proving that Julius Caesar adopted him. And that was a big deal because after Julius Caesar died in Rome, he was considered to be God. Like they would look in the sky and go, that's where Julius Caesar belongs. He doesn't belong with us. He is God. And so Caesar Augustus, in his claim for power, was able to spread the empire even further by calling himself the son of God. Like when he would show up places, he would show up in a chariot where he would have a herald go out in front of him blow a trumpet and say, here comes the Son of God. And to look at the story of Jesus' birth that begins with, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You know what that is? That's Caesar Augustus going, I want to count all the people who are subject to me. And all the people who call themselves citizens of Rome poor, rich, and everyone in between has to go to where their family is from to register or they die. This isn't a choice. And so if you're a slave in, let's say, Galilee, and maybe you're 15 years old and you're pregnant and about to have a baby, it doesn't matter that you have to get on a donkey and ride really, really far to get to Bethlehem. That's where your husband's family is from. And so that's where you're going. And that's what we read in this story. Look at verse 2. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Some of you are here, and you're just here because like, your family invited you, and you're like, the Bible's not actually historically accurate. It's not true. You need to read the Gospel of Luke, because Luke is a doctor who writes with extreme detail, and he includes historical details that the other Gospel writers don't throw in. I love this one, because you can actually Google and look up the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The Bible is true, and if you actually do the work to look into the claims of this book, you'll find out that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, that's the end of all the history, okay? Is everybody done being bored? Okay, verse 3. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. The kingdom of God begins 
with the most humiliating and humble action in the history of the world to this point. Jesus, the creator of the world, comes down in the form of a baby, but doesn't come to a royal family. Now, he does if you read the history of Israel and the fact that Joseph is in the line of David. But at this point, they are oppressed by the Romans, and he's born to a family that's on the run, and he's born to a family who will show up in their own hometown and not have a place to stay. Now, I know you may have heard that before in the Christmas story, but you don't understand how big of a deal that is in Jewish culture. Like in America, we're like, we try to be hospitable. We try to provide for people. If you are a Jew, hospitality is the chief virtue among all virtues. Because their father is a man named Father Abraham, who is known for his hospitality to the angels when you read that story. So in the Jewish world, you showed visitors hospitality to the degree that you would give your life so that they had a pleasant stay. Crazy hospitality. So for Mary and Joseph to have no one who's willing and ready to provide a place for them to have this baby, this is not just humiliating to not have a place. This is them being shunned by family. This is them getting pressed to the side. And so now we have a baby born who is wrapped in cloth and placed in a manger. And guys, I know that we've like glorified this story and we've given Jesus a Tempur-Pedic mattress in the manger. And we're like, man, we've Christmased it out and it's awesome and there's lights. All Guys, this is a feeding trough for pigs. King of kings, poor family, on the run, no help, feeding trough. It just gets lower and lower. Lower. And then maybe the most humbling act of it all is nothing physical, it's spiritual. Because you, you can't forget that the hands that molded the world are now the hands of a helpless infant. Emmanuel, God with us. And from the beginning, Jesus wants us to know this is a kingdom of self sacrifice. This is a kingdom of seeing how low you can go to serve. But it is a kingdom all about the exaltation of his name. So as I'm telling you all of this, don't make any mistakes about it. Jesus surrendered a lot to come down in the form of a baby. But he did not lose anything. I want to say this really carefully. Jesus surrendered a lot, but he didn't lose anything. He gave up things that were good so that he could inherit something better. Namely, us and the name above all names. So he lays down his position in heaven, comes down in the form of a servant, but all of this so that he can humbly serve those around him, give his life as a ransom for many. And now where is he? He's not still in the manger. He's not still on the cross. He is exalted to the highest place at the right hand of God. And that very progression is the progression that we are called to make as Christians, that we give up our lives in order to gain everything. I don't know what you're looking for this Christmas. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. I don't know what you're looking for, but I know it's actually on the other side of giving something up. And as uncomfortable as that is, it actually makes perfect sense through the thread of the scriptures. Like if you want peace at the end of a year like this, peace does not come from grabbing control over every circumstance of your life. Peace comes from surrendering control to the only one who's sovereign and in control of the whole story. And the fullness of life actually comes on the other side of laying your life down. And so this is the moment that we're in. ACC, look at me. You are in a moment where I am not just going to ask you if you are a Christian. 
I'm going to ask you right where you are in whatever season of life you're in, whether or not you're all in, fully surrendered to Jesus as the Son of God and the reason why you have breath. And it's not to make you uncomfortable. It's to give you an invitation into a meaningful life. But it's going to feel uncomfortable. I think um, when Jesus was walking around, he invited the rich young ruler to come and follow him which just on the surface looks like the dumbest invitation you could ever give somebody. He's rich, he's young, and he's in charge. He's got authority, he's got wealth, and he's got health. And Jesus says, you can come follow me. Just sell everything you have. Give up this whole life and come follow me. And we look at him and we go, go with Jesus. Listen, he doesn't know how the story's going to end, guys. This is a weird Jewish rabbi who nobody knows whether or not he's legit. He's just doing some miracles. And the rich young ruler feels that tug, feels that pull, and is like, I want to, because I know you're teaching truth. But I got a lot of stuff, I got a lot of youth, and I got a lot of power. And so instead of going with this Jewish rabbi, he holds on to his life. And in the moment, you go, that makes perfect sense. You made a great decision. Yet when you read through history, you go, oh, you just wrote yourself out of the greatest story forever told so that you could hold on to what made you comfortable at that moment. And the tragedy isn't that he would give up a lot 2,000 years ago. The tragedy was that he held on in the first place. I want some of you to have that exact same moment with Jesus tonight, except I hope you don't walk away mad at what it costs. I hope you give it all away joyfully because of who Jesus is. This is a moment to decide, are you in? And if you're in, it's all about Jesus. Christianity is not a few church services that we attend to make ourselves feel better about eternity. Christianity is a no-joke fire that is intended to spread all over the world for the kingdom of Jesus. And you either are all in and a part of it, or you're still learning. And some of you have had all of 2020 to learn it's worth it to drop everything and follow Jesus. And so what is the tragedy tonight is not that God calls for you to give up everything. The tragedy tonight would be for you to hold on to it and miss out on the story that you don't know how it unfolds. Who would the rich young ruler have become? Think about it. He could have had his own book of the Bible. He could have been up there with Paul and Peter. You don't know. You have, you have no idea what God could do with one yes, but you'll never know if it's a no. And so I just want you, I want you to be more afraid of what you could miss out on if you say no to Jesus than you are afraid of what he calls you to surrender. And I want to give you a glimpse, and I'm going to give you the simplest version of the gospel I can possibly give you. I'm going to read you some verses that almost all of you have memorized, and I'm going to lay this invitation in front of you. This is not between me and you. This is between God and you right where you are right now. But to do it, I'm going to read from John chapter 3, verse 16. Some of you don't even need to turn there. You're like, I know that one. I got that one memorized. Good job. So does everybody else. Okay, John chapter 3, verse 16. It's just one book over from where you are in Luke. And I want to show you something so cool about the Christmas story. John doesn't cover the birth of Jesus, but the theme of Christmas is all throughout the gospel of John. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. The light that was the light of all mankind was coming into the world. It's beautiful. But watch this version of Christmas in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's stop right there. 
Most of you have those words memorized, but do you understand what's being said right here? Actually, 2,000 years ago, these verses were written as commentary to a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And if you don't know this story, this is just insane. There's this Pharisee who is a little bit skeptical about Jesus, but he can't deny the presence of God that's in Jesus. And so he sneaks off one night to have a conversation with Jesus. And if you've never watched the TV show, The Chosen, the app you can get on your phone, the scene where Jesus talks with Nicodemus is phenomenal. Because what that shows, shows so well is it shows Nicodemus struggling to decide whether or not he wants to give up his life of religion and prestige and financial prosperity to go with this guy Jesus. But he knows Jesus is calling him and he's like, what is this kingdom? Explain this to me. And Jesus is just so patient with him and walks him through. Well, then John 3.16 hits. And there's a lot of debate among scholars of who said John 3.16. Did Jesus say it? Because some of your Bibles have it in red letters. Or did John write it? And I would say scholarship shows that John wrote this as a commentary onto Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. But whether it's in red letters or black letters, if it's in your Bible, it is inspired by God and it is the word of God to us. And so John is saying, I'm going to explain to you what Jesus was trying to say to Nicodemus. God is a God who loves us so much so that he gave. Love always involves sacrifice. God so loved, he gave his one and only son. Christmas began with a gift And the greatest gift ever given came from the greatest giver who's ever been known. The happiest character in the Christmas story is God, y'all. Because God is a God who loves to lavish good gifts on his children. But when he gave us Jesus, he bankrupted heaven to go, this is everything I got among you because this is what is going to save you from your sins. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Read verse 17, because I think John 3, 17 is just as good as John 3, 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Go back up to 17. Jesus did not come in the world to announce condemnation. He did not come down from heaven to go, you guys are not getting it right. You're separated from God, and I need to remind you of that. Jesus came as a voice of salvation. In fact, if you need the Christmas message in just a few sentences, you can write this down. Jesus did not come down from heaven to bring us condemnation. Jesus came down from heaven to bring us salvation. So every picture you have about God when you walk into a space like this, know this. Salvation was God's idea. God is the one who is initiating a right relationship with you in Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, he's going, I'm not here to remind you of all the reasons why you've disappointed God. I'm here to make a way for you to be in a right relationship with the one who made you. But then he says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You want to know why Jesus didn't come to condemn us? It's because we already stood condemned. People love to say, there's no condemnation in him. He came to save us. Yeah, because we already were condemned and separated from God. If he's coming as our savior, he's got to rescue you from our condition. Don't miss this. Jesus' offer of salvation is not for people who are bad who need to be made good. It is for people who are spiritually dead who need to be made alive. 
Why did Jesus come down from heaven? Because we are dead. Physically, our bodies will expire. But spiritually, we have these needs on the inside of us that cause us to choose things other than God to try to fill that void. And over and over and over again, we taste more and more of our own emptiness. We taste more and more of our own loneliness. And we go, I have a need for something that nothing I can find in this world can fill. And Jesus goes, that's me. I'm the Savior. And so I want you to see in this moment, you have an opportunity to step into the life that is truly life. You have an opportunity to have your debt paid by Jesus and have a right relationship with your heavenly father. But you also get to have an opportunity to decide whether or not you want to waste your life. Jesus does all the work in saving you. But you have to decide whether or not you will surrender what's necessary to live out the call of God on your life. Nobody can make that decision for you. That's on you. And so Jesus will come all the way down from heaven. He'll provide forgiveness for sins. He'll give you a right relationship with your heavenly father. But he will not force you to surrender everything in your life to live for what matters most. That's up to you in this moment. And I want to set it up for you by finishing this passage. John chapter 3 verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. He must increase, I must decrease. This is the moment. Light has come into the world. And it says, the world would rather run into darkness. I just want to tell you, if you sign up for he must increase, I must decrease, you're going to be lonely at times. There are a lot of people who will call themselves Christians and still privately or openly keep parts of their life from God getting his hands on them and parade that around like it's generosity, like it's full surrender, and like it's radical Christianity, and it's not. It's an act, and it is holding us back from the inside. You will be very lonely if you are a Christian who lays it all down for Jesus. But you will actually be walking into the only light that is truly light. And I just want to be as honest with you as I possibly can. In 2020, I've got two little girls. I'm married and I'm watching what's happening in our world and everything in me wants to go into self-preservation. Everything in me wants to just hide in our little kingdom over here in Auburn, Alabama and pretend like the world's not on fire. Just being real with you. And I've had moments where in my heart of hearts, I have desired things within me that are not God. I have had wants where I'm like, I don't know if I want to do what's necessary on God's call in my life. I don't know if I want to give all that up. I don't know if I want to keep saying yes to Jesus. But here's what I've noticed and what's been implanted in me from a young age. I have this want that consumes all my other wants that fall short of Jesus. And it's this. I want my life to count. I want the breaths that God has given me this side of heaven to actually matter for something. And so just as much as my flesh wants to settle and I want to get pulled into safety and I want to get pulled to focus on prosperity and status and pleasure and all the things that the world has to offer me, you want to know what I want more than that? I want to look into the eyes of the one who came down from heaven to save me and him say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Because that is what life is all about, church. So don't waste your life. Don't choose a relationship that's causing you to settle for less than God's best. Don't choose to pursue what most of the people connected to our community are pursuing. I'm telling you, I've had it, it's empty. God's got fullness. And here's the dangerous thing about everything I'm saying to you tonight. Scripture teaches, to whom much is given, much is required. That should freak you out. Because what have we been given? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You've been given a lot. But just you being here tonight tells me that you're connected to Auburn, Alabama in some way, shape, or form. You want to know what that means to me? That means among human beings who have lived in all of history, you are in the 99.9th percentile of education, of wealth, of quality of life, and of opportunity. If you think for one second that we are not accountable for all of this that God has graciously lavished on us, you are wrong. And so I know for me in my house, that, that freaks me out a little bit. And that makes me go, okay, God, you've entrusted a lot into Auburn Community Church. You've put a lot in this place. Not that you need to be afraid, but that you do need to act by faith. God, I want my life to matter and I want my life to count. And I was 19 years old and I heard a pastor step on stage who had the Holy Spirit on his life in a way that I'd never heard somebody. And he said those words and I felt in my spirit, I want it too. He said, I want my life for the gospel going out to every single person I come into contact with. Is that what you want more than anything? And some of you will roll your eyes at me and go, dude, just stop. We got dinner reservations. But some of you are here tonight and this word is taking down strongholds that have existed for decades in your family. So you let this settle where it's gonna settle. I feel like the gospel message has been preached in this place but you gotta do business with God. You can put your notes away. Let's stand up all over this place. We got some songs to sing before we close out 2020. And my hope and my prayer is that God has spoken loudly and clearly to you right where you are tonight. Would you bow your head all over this space? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way you're moving. I know that it is not comfortable for a lot of people who are in front of me right now, but I pray that they would not harden their hearts and they would not resist you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are worth sacrificing everything for. And I pray that our lives and our relationships would reflect the fact that we have laid it all down to know you and to serve you and to follow you. God, never let us settle into less than the life you have died and rose and entrusted to us. So God, I pray for those who have never even said yes to a relationship with you, that tonight they would say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm yours. I surrender. I'm tired of living a life for less than what you've called me to. But God, for those who are in this space and they prayed that prayer before and they grew up in church, but they know they've never given you everything. God, let this Christmas be different. If you gave everything on Christmas 2,000 years ago, our only rightful response is yes, we are yours. All to Jesus, I surrender. We love you, God. We sing to you tonight in Jesus' name.